it got to the point where I was like, I'm so in the weeds on like the metrics and the population growth and the demographics, you know? And I was just like, just pick a place and just go deep. Like you just have to pick one and you have to dive in. Hailing from the North. Hailing originally. from the North. <laughs> originally. My, my, my territory. Your folk. King of the North. <laughs> your folk. Axel, why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us uh, who you are, what you do, and uh, yeah. kick it off from there. Sure. So yeah, I'm, I'm Axel. I grew up in New Hampshire. So, you know, North being, it's funny to think about that 45 minutes North of Boston, but, <laughs> but the, the unknown up there. So parents were entrepreneurs. Uh, my dad's a Swedish immigrant. He came over, he started a wood chipping business of all different things. So nothing to do with real estate, but they owned a business and I was exposed to that. And um, just, you know, throughout middle school, high school, college, never really had a job. I was always buying and selling stuff, trying to make some money. And um, I remember I was buying and selling cars in high school and college. Like that was, that was my side hustle. And, um, that's cool. I, I was like, like vintage cars or just general cars in general. If you consider like mid two thousands, Toyota Camry's vintage, <laughs> maybe when people listen to this in 20 years, no. <laughs> were you, um, were you pondering, uh, working as in the auto mechanic, auto mechanic world or. I, I couldn't, I couldn't tell you anything about how an engine works or how, like I had no, it was just, I had Craigslist open on one tab of my computer, Kelly Blue Book on the other, and I would just text offers to people on Craigslist all day. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and then it, some cool. of them would stick and I'd go buy a car for three grand and sell it for five grand. So arbitrage. Beautiful. Yeah. It was just, it was literally just that. So, I mean, it was good money at the time, like, you know, good beer money in college, but there was a Do like expiration sim- Simultaneous closings. He's like wholesaling <laughs> automobiles before yeah. sailing yeah. automobiles. Yeah, I'm, I'm lining up the buyer and sending it up to a list. Um, <laughs> and it's funny, I did sell some to used car dealerships. Like that was actually, yeah. I had one guy that would buy a number of them, which so kind of that, which yeah. is funny. But um, should have hired you to be his acquisitions person. You know? Yeah, you know, I would have taken that job in a heartbeat back yeah. then. But funny enough, I was like, all right, well, this isn't the forever plan. There's got to be something else here. So I looked up one day. What do wealthy people buy and sell? Just the most <laughs> rudimentary Google search of all time. And uh, came across real estate investing and flipping houses and all of that. And I started diving into that world. And um, just, you know, while learning about that, listening to podcasts, you know, Bigger Pockets was just becoming like a big website. I, um, I learned about rental real estate and multifamily real estate. And, uh, and I was like, that seems like a, a better deal. <laughs> you do the work once and you get paid, you know, in perpetuity. So, Tried to figure out how to buy rental property, which is nearly impossible to do in a traditional way if you're 20 with no job and no credit. So started learning about how to find off-market deal, started learning about seller financing and all that stuff. And um, Did you go to school for finance or real estate or anything like that? No, I went to school for, for entrepreneurship, which is the most useless major ever. So don't do that if you're in college <laughs> because there's it's vague and there's no... Yeah, you don't even know what kind of job you get with that degree. So I was doing it because I did. I had no idea what I wanted to do. We had that um, leadership and entrepreneurship was a was a major unto itself. Yeah, it's like rocks for jocks. <laughs> and it's it like teaches we're, yeah. you to deal with ambiguity and uncertainties, though, in some ways. Oh, right? this is rage. Just this is rage justifying yeah. the major. I like this. This good. I'm not an entrepreneur major. I went to business school, but I mean, you know what? It helped me with communications. Yeah, learning how businesses work at a high level, but I, yeah, it's, it's an undergraduate degree. Just in general, is 
yeah. you're a kid. You don't know what yeah. you want to sure. do. Sure. That's, that's the truth. Hey, what else came up when you searched? What do wealthy people find? <laughs> <laughs> so I thought maybe art, you could have ended up an art deal. Art, art came up and planes was another thing. I oh. somehow got down a rabbit that's hole in planes one, yeah. and I was like, oh, you know, it's another thing with engines. Uh. And then I was like, snap into it, dude. That's what are you, what are you doing? Like that's. <laughs> I worked for a construction company and one of my colleagues was tasked with buying a new plane for the CEO. And for like six months out of his life, it's all he did was research planes and had to come up with. <laughs> it's, it's, kind of, it's kind of a cool. It must have it's been cool like project. a re- yeah, yeah, it's a cool yeah. side project. It's kind of cool. Like plane dealerships. Yes, yeah. I don't know. Like, so, so not, you know the story not stock race, market. Not- uh, you know, mutual funds, that sort of thing. No, so. Um- you know, I, I kind of went, you know, at, well, I was at the time I was taking a finance class where that's all we were talking about. But I was just like, that's not something that the average person, it's not accessible to the average person. And then I, so very early on, I viewed real estate, not as an investment, but as a business. Like I, I, I never had trouble thinking about it that way. So I was like, you know, you market for, you market to your customer, which is a motivated seller. And then you get it under contract. You can do this in a way where you don't really need your own money, which isn't an option really in the stock market. You know, you can use margin, but there's a limit to that. And, um, so for me, I was like, I very much looked at it as like, I got to go find other people to get the money. I got to go find the deal. Like that's all stuff I can do with no money. So that's why I was drawn to real estate, I think. And I think it was just a little bit more understandable as well. It's like, you just, you just find someone that wants to sell a property cheaper than what it's worth. It, like It's very, <laughs> very easy to conceptualize. There's um, that entrepreneurship degree. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And just work out um, problems as they come up, you know? Yeah. And then, and then I remember finance too, like, like in the, my intro to finance class, the guy was like, you know, whatever it is like 3%, whatever the number is of people that invest in the stock market, like beat the stock market or earn higher than the average return. I was like, I don't think I'm that 3%. Like I don't think I'm that <laughs> smart. <laughs> I'm not even going to try and do that. And I never wanted to work for somebody else. So that was always the constant. And I was like, I can do this myself and make enough money to where I'll never need a job. Whereas the stock market path, maybe, you know, you day trade, you look into some money, but you probably have to like take a job along the way. Buy some crypto mm-hmm. FTX. Uh, yeah. But that, yeah didn't, exactly. that didn't exist back then. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 yeah. <laughs> take me so seriously. I know. No, right. I'm taking you very seriously today. <laughs> You're catching me on a good day. I love it. I mean, maybe if this was happening in 2020 and I saw a bunch of like 20-year-olds making bank off a of Tesla, I would have went that route. Yeah. Who knows? But it <laughs> wasn't the like case. Or early Bitcoin investor. Yeah, yeah exactly. Real. What um, percentage of real estate investors, though, don't make it? Because it's obviously not for everybody and, and you can get in over your head pretty quick. So I wonder what that number is. That's a good question. I have... You know, I have no idea, but I think the I think if you're in real estate and you get past your first few deals without going to zero, you typically are okay. I think I think, I think the biggest unless ba- unless you use a ton of leverage, but I mean, yeah. I think I think there's a I think the barrier to entry in certain markets is really high, but I think that I think that a lot of people want to get into real estate, but they never do. Yeah, I which they, I think is different than like failing at it. That's you know, true. Because you never even enter the arena. Yeah, which I guess that's true. Let's be clear. Like so much of that, the answer to that question is driven by the market you're in. Yeah, and it's beyond your control. You know, I mean, growing up, there were guys in my town who would take like four years to build a house, and the market was growing like twelve percent a year. So, they, they, despite their ineptitude, they did better than the guy who would knock that out in nine months. So, you know, yeah. it's, it's yeah. just and a it, story of. And I think it's nuanced depending on what you're trying to do as well. Like if you're trying to flip houses and you, you know, you get into a, um, a situation where you're like over your head from a renovation standpoint, you hire the wrong contractor, like you're probably just going to go to zero, you know, if you don't have a yeah. lot of money. Whereas if you're buying like rental property, it's like, 
you typically are going to be supported by the market and all of that. It can be, you could absorb a lot more missteps along the way in a, in a rental play than on a flip. I feel yeah, like a flip can get out of control pretty quickly. Yeah. I mean, I I was my third deal and I, I got absolutely hammered on a flip and I, so you start, I I had to sell everything I owned to to get out of that deal. And then I just started from zero. again. So let's start, let's, let's pick up there. So do you, you started flipping instead of investing? So the first few deals I did were small multifamily three to, you know, two to four unit multifamily. The first couple were three units. I did a duplex, um, all direct to seller, all financed with private money. And, um, so, you know, it was no money down type deals. And like then, high high interest rates. Yeah, yeah. I think I was paying like eleven percent to a guy I met at a real estate meetup. That's like um, that's like day trading, just to make an analogy. <laughs> in so, terms of risk, so, in terms of like. Well, I would argue, I would actually yeah. not agree with that to Tell be me. honest, because because I was servicing my debt with the income, right? So it was as the, as the flip. No, so I was buying rentals oh, with private money. So I, oh, you know, I first few deals he bought was. Sorry, rentals. I wasn't listening while well, I was but thinking of your. What flip. I'm about to describe yeah. is definitely okay. a little bit <laughs> more aligned with what I you're was ahead about. of you. You're like, oh, these <laughs> rentals are easy. Yeah. How hard yeah. can flips yeah. be, right? Yeah. So I, I bought a duplex at auction, sight unseen. Always good to do hmm. that. Oof. Um, tenanted or untenanted? Untenanted. All right. At least you had um, that going. Yeah. Oh, sorry. All these deals are we're in Southern New Hampshire. Yes. So the first few I did were in Manchester. Well, the first deal I did was in Chester. You know, hometown of Chester. And then the next two were in Manchester. All of those were incredible deals. They all went great. And then lots the, of Chester. Yeah, yeah, a lot of Chester. Coincidentally, and sure. then the, and then the fourth deal was out in the seacoast of New Hampshire, out in Dover, and um, that was a duplex where I I hired the guy who did our unit turns to do like a higher end renovation, which doesn't make any sense. And uh, and then he went way over budget. And then two of his guys that he like underneath him that he hired that were on his crew stole all of the materials from the job site. So. I could, I could do this. I could tell this story over 40 minutes, but 18 months later lost, like I had to sell all of the other properties I owned to, to get out of that deal, to finish the renovation, to sell it and to move on. And then was your intent to sell it? The intent was always to sell it. Yeah. Like um, conduit or sell it as a duplex? Just sell it as a duplex. Okay. Did you think about just folding the entity and uh, you probably signed personally for a bunch of stuff? So. Yeah. So whether I got out of it myself or whether I was forced to get out of it. I mean, the end result was always going to be more or less the same. And, um, and that was a deal that I had with a, like a more, like a national hard money lender. Mm -hmm. Um, so it wasn't like an individual that was a lender on that. Mm -hmm. So they would have, you know, would have, the one thing you can't do is destroy your credit. Like if you're going to be in this game, like that's, that's just, you can't do that. And for me too, I I was 21. I was like, I don't like, I'll sell everything else and do it again. That's Mm -hmm. fine. Obviously that sucks. But Mm -hmm. I was like, now I definitely know what not to do. So that was your mentality. You weren't like, well, this was terrible. I'm, I'm going to try something else. Well, you didn't go no. bankrupt. No, I didn't. Right. Yeah. And I still had some money left over. It wasn't like I truly went to zero. You know, I sold a couple of other properties and and I made more on those than than what I lost on this other deal. <laughs> so I wasn't like in a bad position. And um, the way I've always viewed it, like at the time I was like, my apartment was like 700 bucks a month. I was like, I have no expenses. Like, this is fine. I can figure this out. Like, it's not a big deal. And I think- so long as the mistake isn't literally terminal and that you get foreclosed on, your credit mm-hmm. gets shot, and you literally are not able to participate in the in the business anymore. I think it's, you know, you you just learn what you can and you just keep going. I, I don't know anyone that's been in real estate for a long time and not had like a really tough deal, like 10 plus years, you know. I mean Yeah, we've had yeah. we've had a couple of tough, yeah. tough Maybe not years. lost money, but like something where you're like, hey, I just did a, a year's worth of work and I made and I broke even, or sure. you know, and you so that's how I viewed that specific one. But yeah, I mean it's it happens. Yeah like to take a quick break to thank our sponsor, First Boston Capital Partners. David Grossman is a great local lender. 
Uh, if you have a project that you're looking to finance, feel free to reach out to us. We can put you in touch with him. They're fast, they're flexible. They have a lot of options available, both on the debt and equity side. So any financing needs, feel free to reach out and back to our episode. I think, you, I think that's a good point though on credit. Like if you want to be in real estate, you need good credit or yeah. else you're going to be your, or your cost of borrowing is going to be astronomical. Yeah, yeah I, w- I would agree. But I do hear stories from time to time of like the Adam Newmans of WeWork you know, raising another billion dollars. Like there are guys out there. But he's fine. It's his investors that got burned. And isn't he starting something new now? He's trying to do multifamily. He he launched something for apartments. I mean, Mm -hmm. I I use him something. (laughs) I'm taking you very seriously. I know you are. are. Um, But there's some guys in our world who I know have gone, you know, destroyed their credit and are are back out doing it. So yeah. I think if you have a long enough time horizon, you're probably okay. But, you know, I always think like, what's the question that's on every single loan application? Have mm. you defaulted on a loan? Yeah. And you, do you either check yeah. yes or, or you check or no? Or have you declared bankruptcy? Like one of those two. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, it's a lot easier if you just check no. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. So I, yeah. Are you involved in a lawsuit? Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> have you, yeah. But uh, have you been uh, in jail? Taking that question seriously all the time. The lawsuits are a part of the business too sometimes. Yeah. No, I've, I've well, said Well, they yeah, just I mean, want to yeah. know. I and mean, they're not necessarily going to decline you, but they want to know if there's some hanging liability that you're about to go down right. for. Right, yeah. yeah. And I, I've partnered on, you know, when you start sizing up, obviously it becomes a big collaborative business. Like when you're doing larger deals and I've partnered like JV partnered with other folks where I, you know, I saw their, I saw their portfolio. I knew that they were obviously successful. They knew what they were doing. But then when we get into the underwriting on the deal that we're JVing on, you know, there's something up with the tax returns and there's, or their credit's not great. And it just, it makes that process so much more difficult, like the lending mm. process. Was, so was this to have you bring a JV into a deal that you sourced or are you looking into one of their deals or maybe just tell us about your first yeah, so JV. So we did a, I'm going to leave the details out because it's, I guess it's a little specific, but this was a deal where somebody brought the deal to us. They are in another market, but they were prospecting in, in New Hampshire where we do a lot of deals. And they were like, yeah, we need help with like the capital and we know you're local and we own our property management company up there. So we were vertically integrated. So they're like, you know, you guys can manage it. That's better than our option of going third party. So we sliced up the the deal in a way that made sense for everyone. And then, and this is someone that I knew and like, you know, enjoy working with, but I, you don't know someone's like, you know, unless you're asking, which I didn't do, maybe, you know, maybe there's an argument to doing that. Like, what's your, what's going on behind the scenes financially? Like, can we get good debt for this or what? But uh, we got in and we, and there was a lot of stuff going on there and it prolonged the lending process. Our rate got, went up throughout the process and it, there's so much more friction going down that road with someone that's got, you know, uh, some kind of damage on their credit from a year's back, mm-hmm. whether it was a foreclosure or, or, you know, something went wrong. So, um, I would much prefer to, to not, <laughs> to not have that hurdle. The I mean, business is hard enough as it is, you know, it's like, so you still JV today, just have your criteria. Yeah. So in deals where there's going to be multiple guarantors, I do ask that. I'm like, Hey, everything good credit wise? Like what's up? And uh, run like your own credit and background, like a tenant, right? You know, another yeah. interesting thing to background check is like uh, history of litigation. I, I brought up lawsuits a minute earlier, so I was just thinking of it. But like that's sometimes interesting. It's nice to meet somebody who's been in business for 20 years and says, I've never been involved in like the active litigation, you know, whatever it wants to be. I mean, inevitably, there they'll will be things and you can explain it. It might not be your fault at all. But um, yeah, well, that's know. another thing. You're, you're going to get sued at some point. Thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 It's just, I mean, this business, the more. 
why like the more exposure you have mm-hmm. the, the higher the likelihood you're going to get something's going to happen but of course of course but, um, but there are people of like a long record yeah that is something of a like huh <laughs> yeah yeah right it's like, maybe it's you here maybe yeah it's, yeah maybe Who's you're the common specific? denominator yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so you so obviously you went through that tough flip had to start over so then how did you kind of you know Go move from forward from that yeah. So now I'm what year it. was this? This is back 2017. Okay. So about five years ago now. And so when I sold that, it was, well, when I sold that property, it was 2018 and I was buying property at, at the same time, I'm dealing with this mess of a, of a deal up in Dover. Really the strategy was go out there, find a deal at 20 to 25% below market value, all in leverage the hell out of it. <laughs> Cause that's the only way you can really do this. If you don't have any money or, you know, partner with someone to bring some of the capital and then take your money out and keep growing the snowball. So burr. Exactly. Exactly. And that's, you know, I did a ton of direct mail, a ton of cold calling, a ton of this, a ton of that. You know, we did a ton of email prospecting, found so many deals just going direct to seller through email. And, uh, you know, we'd buy the six unit deal for 500 grand. We put a hundred into it and it'd be worth 850, right? We're all in for six. It's worth 850. You know, we get our money out and then some from the bank, we get into fixed rate debt from a, with a local bank or credit union. And then we go out and do the next one. And I did that probably for three years or so, really up until like mid 2020 before. So it was all just me. I was like, I wanted to grow my own portfolio. I never, mm-hmm. I, I didn't have a larger vision at that point. I was like, I just, and I was thinking small too. Cause like, I just want to pay my rent, cover my expenses, which doesn't take that much when you're, you know, early twenties and your rent's like a grand. And, um, and then I got there and I was like, all right, well, what comes next? And I think I wanted to, you know, do larger deals, sort of you know, raise money from investors, maybe go into new markets. And how many units were you at that point? Probably like seventy five or so. Okay, all in um, all in Southern New Hampshire. All in New Hampshire. Did you, sorry, seventy five is a lot. It is. Did you find Southern New Hampshire to be an easier barrier to entry than like Massachusetts or other? Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was not. It was like nine days. I was living in Boston at this time. Okay, and um, like it never even occurred to me to try and buy property here. I was like, I I got a good thing going up there. It's just so much more mom and pop, and I think. Yeah. I think, you know, very similar to what you guys do, where you where you do a lot of conversions, where you do a lot of, you know, more redevelopment type of work. I was doing none of that. It was all like, tear the cabinets out, put new cabinets up. I was never knocking so like down basic walls. cosmetic renovation. Max 15K unit type stuff. Okay. Like that would be a big rent, a big unit turn for us. Um, now it's grown to 20K plus unit because of pricing. But at the time, you know, it was like 10, 15K a door. You know, maybe we, you know, maybe we're doing the roof. Like, you know, we, I've never done like residing. I've never done any of that stuff. It was very simple. Like so, major, you've never done like major systems. Like no. okay. I've never done like a, I've never changed the floor plan of a unit, right? E- even still? Um, we've done a couple where we maybe like, you know, knock a wall down and, and open up a space or we, we frame in a bedroom, but, but like that's like the plum- extent. What about plumbing, electric, HVAC, like, like so rewiring? We've done a couple of those, okay. yeah. But your business um, model primarily is like my, my minor improvements and lease like, up. And just like we yeah. have paneling and that cool. shouldn't be there and kitchen's old, get that replaced. Pictures, exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's like, so the way I think about it is like, you can create your value through doing really heavy renovations and being really proficient at that part of the business. And I was like, that's not aligned with my skill set. My skill set is I just find really good deals. So I'm, I'm being selective on the deals I get into. So I'm like, we're only going to do light stuff because the deal flow is large enough such that we can, we can be really picky about what we buy. Now, are you doing your own direct to seller marketing? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So tons of it. I mean, yeah, I have mentioned a full, email. I have a, Email was like an email list, like just email homeowners. So if you, um, in New Hampshire, New Hampshire is one of the most transparent states in terms of looking up entities that own property and getting the information of the true owner. So we would pull a list of all the, uh, you know, all the free or die. 
Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> so you could, you know, you can get the registered agent and the manager of that LLC's email address. Um, That's crazy. Oh, wow. So like, I'm just emailing the guy, that, like, it's not hard to get an owner's information. It's extraordinarily easy to do that. I had an intern at UNH <laughs> who now we partner on deals, but at the time he was like 19, he reached out to me. I, you know, some, someone connected That's us awesome. and uh, he just did that. And I just paid him referral fees. So he was making, you know, one, 2% off the top of these deals. What um, sort of stuff are you filtering your searches for? So we, we did everything at the, and it's changed a little bit over time. Now we try and buy slightly larger deals. So we filter a little bit more aggressively, but at the time it was five to 50 units haven't been sold in the last three years in Hillsborough, Rockingham, Merrimack and Stratford County in New Hampshire. So basically all of the seacoast and then Southern New Hampshire. And we got as far That's north it. as Concord. It's yeah. a big list. It's a big list, but there's not a lot of buildings in New Hampshire. So <laughs> when you do five to 50, I haven't been sold in the last few years. You, it gets down to 700, 800, 900 oh, wow. records. So there's not that many properties. So hmm. like, and my whole thing was like, I never reached out trying to buy people's properties. I just reached out to like network. So I'd reach out to owners and say, hey, I also invest in New Hampshire. At some point, I'd love to buy a property, but I know you might not want to sell. Would you be interested in just, you know, chatting over the phone? That's a really that's interesting, interesting, that's a really interesting segue into connecting with people that, yeah, yeah that's a and it's not as, that's a, a it's not as aggressive. It's actually great because I'm yeah. sure plenty of guys have said like, you know, actually I'm not, but I know this guy down the block, he's getting older. Maybe he, why don't I connect you? I'd like, right? Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, it was never like you know, cash offer for your house today, yeah. close it. And I was like, that doesn't really speak to the people that own multifamily. So while a lot of the sellers are mom and pop and are like in a financially distressed situation, and we did buy plenty of properties and we do now from those folks, I found it to be much easier to just be like, you know, hey, I'm going to talk to you now. And then in a couple of years when like, you know, you find out your kids don't want to inherit the properties, they're going to yeah. sell them if you pass away and you just figured you'd sell them now. Like, <laughs> well, yeah, while they, while yeah. they aren't, while they are, mom and pop they are a little bit more sophisticated than yes. just someone that wants to sell their fifty thousand dollars they own a they own a plumbing business and they yeah. self-manage and now they're sick of it because they have to evict three out of the six tenants in a building because they yeah. didn't screen them and they they're not financially motivated they make plenty of money they have plenty of money but <clears throat> my whole pitch was like we're going to make this really easy for you and i think so many investors make it hard for a seller to sell their property they want to you know, it's like they're they're constantly asking to to go into a building to disturb the tenants. They want to see it once, and then they want to go into contract, and then they want to do their inspections over two days, and then they want to, you know, and or they're like, like, oh, I want a thirty or forty five day due diligence period, and I want this, and I want that. that yeah, a lot. And we were doing small deals, right? I'm not, you know, yeah. you have to do that stuff when you're buying sizable assets Correct. for sure, especially if you're raising money and you really want to do right by your investors. But for me, I was like, or if you're going to get a, an actual lender. Involved, yeah, they're going to want to see all that due diligence. They're going to want to do their phase one and their yeah. get their property condition report. So that's, you know, I'll put that, that's like a different situation. But what we were doing here is like, you know, we're buying an eight unit property in Manchester. Like I was like, hey, we're going to disturb your tenants one time. And it's going to be when we do the inspections and that's it. And like we work with bridge lenders that do desktop appraisals. They're, you're not going to have to do it once. And they were like, oh, this is perfect. Like I can just tell the tenants that it's like an insurance guy coming through it. They, you know, it's crazy. Like how, at what price people will, or what, price reductions people are okay with to avoid having difficult conversations with people, yeah. which is like a, a crazy little thing up in up in New Hampshire that I noticed. Um, and I'm sure it's similar elsewhere, but because we just solved all their pain points, we're like, we're going to make this easy, no financing contingency, 10-day due diligence, non-refundable EMD. We disturb your tenants one time. We're going to get it closed. I'm not even going to have an extension option. And we close on time every single deal that we've ever done. And it's like, we had so many deals that we could, I, I look back, I wish I had raised money sooner because we would have done so much more, but, but that was the game. And then, and then we were like, all right, I I'm tapped out. I can't keep 
like you are you self managing all of this too i self-managed until i got to 10 doors and i was like this is the worst thing of all time <laughs> and then i <laughs> hired a third-party manager until 60 units and then we brought it in-house so we have it in-house now so i've been self-managing a very small portfolio of rental properties what i've come to do now is I realize that I'm saving a bunch of money on property management. And anytime the phone rings, I just send my plumber. I send whoever. Like a good manager would go and make sure the toilet's actually broken before they call the plumber. Or like at this point, it's just like go. And if it's nothing, then it's 200 bucks I lost. But by and large, that's that's been my way. And it doesn't mm -hmm. work on a big portfolio. But I try to actually do that a lot, not to extrapolate further. But even like where I'm GCing stuff myself. I'll spend money that someone else wouldn't spend. I recently posted about like electric locks on all my doors to the units, like a hundred bucks each. It's because I don't have a full-time super. So I need to do stuff like that. So I can't, mm -hmm. you know, you can't like uh, get too, too caught up in the last dollar. Mm -hmm. If you're going to find savings elsewhere. I, I think if, um, well, I, where are yeah. you? Where are the properties that you manage? Uh, in Boston. Okay. Yeah. So what did you say? Like B, B class? Uh, tenants yeah be yeah. post-college professionals okay so i was just gonna say it's yeah. a little so central manchester yeah. as i'm sure you could attest to it's not it's it is it's tough it's a really tough area to be managing properties and um i can only take so many like hey my neighbor is like peeing on my car phone calls ah, so you know i'm like like stuff <laughs> like that just ridiculous and i was like yeah. ah we just got to get somebody else involved to do this I probably would have self-managed for a lot longer if the properties were in nicer areas. And especially if they were newer, like mm. these 1900, like early 1900s built type. Uh, no, most of my bought renovated in like, you know, 10, 10, 15 years ago kind of thing. Yeah. So I think there's much more of an argument to make to self-managing <laughs> if that's what it is. And I think it probably financially just makes sense to do that. But, you know, early 1900s, like we renovate them, but like, you know, the, the rents aren't high enough up there to justify doing like gut systems renos. You, mm. kind, you have to do stuff along the way just because... It's hard to pencil a deal out if you're doing like, you know, 40K a unit in renos or something like that. So there's just so much. There's the volume of phone calls and maintenance requests and, and the units turn over much more often. So it's just, I was like, I got to get this off my plate. And then, but then we realized that the management companies we were working with weren't that great. So we had to bring it in-house. Um, well, that's the rub, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. yeah, we, yeah. It's like Taylor it, Swift it's opening her own Ticketmaster. <laughs> <laughs> She's, there's probably enough money to be made for her to, to make that an argument. <laughs> but, and yeah. now it's like, we have a full-time manager. We have like maintenance staff and, and, um, and we like also on, third on staff handyman and stuff like that. Yeah. Like salaried, like we have like, you know, W2 salary maintenance folks and, um, and we have like a leasing agent and all that stuff. So it's, it's like a separate entire business and it's not easy to run it. I mean, it's a, it's a grind, but the real reason we did it was like, because investor or like, you know, passive investors really like that part of your story if you're bringing a deal out. Yeah, this is a tertiary market and it's a C-class area, but we own the management company and yeah, everything's like on We're staff. vertically integrated. Yeah. It's just the control, right? Shop. I mean, yeah. if, if you have a problem with a third party, generally the solution is you're going to have to replace the third party. Whereas if you have something in-house, you can say, hey, next time, you know, do X, Y, Z, like triage the call a little more, like Mark was saying. Don't just send a plumber out, ask him a couple more questions about is the toilet running constantly, you know, whatever. Well, you're setting your own processes and procedures, right. and then you're also not paying like $150 for someone just to go out and like look at the problem, what you mm -hmm. are going to do when you have like a third party. Yeah, company. exactly. And um, well, that's what they're getting paid for. So they should be. Yeah. Plus the 5%. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. And that's, right. and that's the thing. It's like, Third-party management is great when you have a good third-party management company, but if it's not good, then it's you might as well. And I still think you can 
no matter who the third party management company is, I, I think it makes sense to try and get to a size where you can like afford some help unless you're no, no. managing what you're talking about, right? Mm-hmm. We have like, you know, a good uh, newer buildings, renovated buildings, et cetera. But like in a market like Manchester, right, where it's 120K a door market, right? The rents are 1500 bucks a unit on average and what we own. And um, kind of have to get to like 25, 30 units. You need some help. You need mm-hmm. a VA or something to, right. to, 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 get involved or else you're literally doing like $15 an hour work. You know, if you're involved as the owner, which I don't think anyone really wants to do, that's trying to like grow a portfolio, but it's an interesting conversation. It's one of the more interesting conversations within, I think like the rental real estate world is like, how do you handle your management? Cause I've heard every version of it. I yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> Generally, I think property management makes the most sense if you own a brokerage company. So if you do sales and rentals and then you want to take on the ASIC of property management, I get it. But if you're just going after property management and that's your line of business, like, ooh, God bless you. That is yeah. that's tough. Go yeah, it usually should. Yeah, it's like I don't, I don't know anyone that would just be like, hey, I think I want to start a property management business. But, I, but yet there, <laughs> but there are. Yeah, you know, I would consider it. I mean, but you do. But there's other but, ancillary. Reasons. But there's a reason why you would do it. Yeah, there's a couple of reasons. Yeah, of course, there's the the most obvious one, which is the financial savings for our own rentals, but. I well, do think that there's other opportunities, and maybe this is why a lot of brokerages offer, offer property management because it can translate into sales at some point. Well, we agree. That sort then. of thing. Well, yeah. we're, we're sort of saying if you didn't invest in real estate and you didn't own any buildings and you were just, hey, I want to own. If you were thinking about a business to start tough. out of every single business in the world it's and you wanted to one. say, oh, I think I'll start a property management business, you would not do that. It's, it's Please tell me you wouldn't do that. <laughs> no, I, no, 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 I would. I probably would not. No, small okay. tangent, but like, it is thankless, right? And there's plenty of yeah, jobs like is. this. And I actually try to go out of my way and say things like everything is expected. Like when everything goes well and your phone doesn't ring and your tenants like property managers, like oh that that's just the par. That's par for the course. Great, you did your job. No, but that's actually above and beyond. You've done an excellent job. So I, I, the reason I say that there's some potential interest is because there's so many, at least locally, that don't execute well. It's got to be for a reason. Either it's just a thankless job, like you're saying, Mark, or just because people don't have their shit organized. And so I think it's one of those things where if there's a lot of companies that don't do a good job at something, then you have an opportunity to improve on it and, and really stand out. Mm-hmm. Or maybe really it just is blood money, like you say, you know, and there's, there, there's I think no it's way just, to make it work. I think it's, it's a lot easier to do it on, with your own stuff. We well, could yeah, probably because go if on. I'm mad, I will complain to myself. Whereas if I'm mad as an owner... <laughs> I complained to that third party. So of course, it makes sense. I wonder if the reason fees are pushed lower is because folks have a, an alternate reason to stay in that line of work and to build number of rentals. And so if you're just coming in cold, it's like, well, you can't compete with that. He's about to make X dollars every month for flipping that apartment. That's yeah. Yeah. And I think it's nuanced too. It's like, are you managing the C class stuff in Manchester? Mm. Are you managing, yeah. you know, properties in Southie? That's two entirely different okay. lines of work right. completely. That's fair. Yep. Yeah. That is and fair. Like going, like managing C class, you're going to war every day. It's like literally what it is. It's like, it's so hard. That business is so hard and not profitable that I, I literally could not understand why someone would go out of their way to start that. Mm-hmm. And we would never have, because we do third party as well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it just helps us grow the staff faster. So that became its own self-sustaining yeah. entity faster. And uh, I see what we make on the third part. Like we charge market, you know, fees and it's, it's not a lot of money left at the end of the day. Oh, you actually manage other people's stuff. We do as well. Oh, so so we manage about 300 units up there now and half of it's ours, half of it's third party. We had to start with third party because we were like, we have to get to 150 units. So we can have a leasing guy, a manager and mm. a maintenance guy. 
And without that, like I'm, it's not self-sustainable I'm, I'm manager again. Yeah. yeah. Like it's gotta be its own living organism. So we, we brought on some third party and I had a couple of friends that own some stuff up there and they're like, yeah, you know, I'm not too happy with our management company. So it was easy to grow it. But, um, I look at the P and L's on our third party stuff and I'm like, it's like, it's not profitable business. <laughs> doesn't <laughs> at all. No, yeah. you basically were buying up to eight units up to what? 20, 2020 20? or so. Yeah. And then what changed? So I was like, all right. Other than the pandemic. There's a, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Something like, happened in 2020. I can't really yeah. put my finger on it. And then interest rates went to 11%. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. That, that was a big domino that started to, to knock over the other ones there. But um, I was like, there's a cap to what we can do in New Hampshire. Uh, I wanted to buy larger deals, like 20, larger at the time I defined as like 20 plus unit deals. And um, like syndicate or still on your own? I'd like to buy them on my own. That was at the time, that was my goal. You know, find really good deals and creatively structure them so where I could buy them on my own, which is what I'd done up to that point. But like I could pull the list in New Hampshire, for example, of 20 to 100 unit apartment buildings and I, I'd get through it in a day calling people. So I was like, I got to look in more areas to give myself more at bats. So I had a buddy that lived in Tampa. So I started looking down at Tampa, just absurdly competitive. So I stopped doing that after a while and started, I went inland to Lakeland, Florida. So between Tampa and Orlando, you know, it's about 45 minutes from both Tampa, Tampa and Orlando, but very similar to Manchester in terms of like the price per door, the size of the market, the typical tenant base, the median income, all of it was like, it was basically pick up Manchester, you drop it in central Florida, it was like Lakeland, Florida, <laughs> obviously a little bit different, but, uh, but a lot of it a was sunnier. similar a little sunnier. Yeah. <laughs> so I started doing a ton of direct to seller down there. We bought a few deals there in, um, like in- larger deals. Yeah, we did a 16, a 28, and then a 48. Oh, wow. Um, All on your own. Um, so the 16 was on my own. And then after that, I was like, for me, I, I'm a huge fan of just trying stuff. So I was like, let's go syndicate something and see if I like doing that. Um, and I was like, if I don't, it's just one deal. That's fine. So we, I JV'd on the 28 with two guys that I met down there through a networking group. And we raised some money. And then the 48 was an actual syndication where we did a 506B and put the docs together and did everything. Oh, wow. um, Slow that down a little bit. So you're doing one on your own and then the 48 unit is a, is a syndication. So what does that mean? What is a 408B? Oh, yeah. Oh. So 506B and 506C are the two reg D exemptions for syndications. So 506B means you can go out there and raise capital from non-accredited investors up to 35 per mm-hmm. offering, but you can't publicly up, advertise up it. Up to 35 grand? Up to so 35, 35 non-accredited investors can oh, participate. Yeah. But uh, but you can't, you know, you can't talk about it openly, right? It has to be, you can only talk about the opportunity with people that you have a prior relationship with. And because that's, you know, they're restricting who you can talk to, you could bring in non-accredited folks. And you have to file that. With the SEC. Cool. Yep. So, you know, 15. Don't take legal advice from our podcast. No. Continue. I am, yeah. Yes. I'm just a guy. I'm not an attorney by any means. Yes. Um, <laughs> and then the a 506C is you can only you can only bring in accredited investors, but you can advertise it however you want. So, you know, you could run an ad on TV if you wanted to. So And you um, have to actually not that this is advice, but for those investors, you have to actually do the work and like try and validate and not just be like, yes. hey, check the box, yes, no. Yeah, you need to get a, a third-party verification letter that that clarifies that they are accredited. So um, you're raising money from all of these folks for the 45-unit 48 unit deal? Yeah, from the 48 units to the 506B. Uh-huh. And it was only like 10 people that invested. I still invested the most. You know, I was like, I, invest, I brought half the money. And then the other half was just some other people. But for me, I was like, oh, I want to go through the process of like drafting the docs and speaking with the attorney and building out the operating agreement and doing all for me i was like this is a it was a great deal it was like a no-brainer deal it was low-hanging fruit in terms of 
easy deal to sell, easy deal to raise money for. And, um, and that was like my learning experience. We've, we've done a couple since then. I only do 506 C's now because it's just much more black and white from a compliance standpoint. It's like, are you accredited or not? There's some gray area with the non-accredited stuff that I, I don't really want to expose myself to anymore. So we've done them since then, but that was really like the learning curve there was getting that first one done. Sorry. How did you structure the deal with your investors? Was there like a waterfall or was the goal to, is, was it a value add? So was the goal to kind of do the Burr model at a larger scale and kind of try to cash everyone out after a certain number of years or did people get equity? How did that whole structure work? So we did a pretty standard, I shouldn't say standard because I think some people might find this to be aggressive, but, um, but we did a 9% pref with a 50-50 split above that. So over a nine, uh, the GP, which is me, gets 50% of net cash flow distributions and then return of capital proceeds if we go out there and sell the property. And then 50% goes prorated to the LPs, which I think the people in the market are familiar anywhere from like a seven to a nine pref and then usually 70, 30 splits are with like 70 to the LPs, 30 to the GPs. But Can the you deal- slow that down again? Sure. Just see some round numbers? Yeah, yeah. So- Round numbers, like, like an yeah, example. Yeah, like $1,000, 100 you know, whatever. Yeah, so if we were to raise, let's say, a million dollars, the first 90 grand each year are mm-hmm. entitled to the LPs, right? So that's that 9% preferred 90 return. 90 grand of profits. Whatever the distributions are. Okay. So let's say we raise a million dollars as a 9% preferred return. Basically, that means the first 9% that are distributed on an annual basis go to the limited partners. Sure, um, so you're not getting anything. I'm not getting anything until the deal makes mm-hmm. 9%. And then if we have, you know, call it like another hundred grand above that in proceeds that are being distributed, half of that would go to the LPs and half would go to the GPs. So 50 grand would go prorated to all the LPs respective to their investment. And then the other 50%, 50 grand would go to the general partner. And you're the general partner typically. I'm the general partner, yeah. yeah. Um, Or partners, right? Mm -hmm. There can be multiple general partners. But, and then if we were to sell the property, that first, you know, all the money goes to the LPs first. So they get their capital back plus any of the preferred return that they're due for that given year. And then anything above that is split 50-50. So there was a million dollars in investor capital. That first million dollars goes to the investors. And if we, um, you know, we have another 500 grand in profit that we made, that gets split 50-50, you know, 250 to the LPs, 250 to the GP. And no no other caps or hurdles as they're called. That's it. It was just kind of- here Yeah, it, it was just, that was it. And 9% then 50-50, keep it simple. Yeah. Nice. And um, and the, we, there wasn't a lot of fees either. I, was, I did a 2% acquisition fee and- I've never done any asset management fees. I'm sure I will at some point in the future. But for me, I was like, I, a lot of the folks that invest in the deals that I'm doing are like, you know, they run a business or they are a high income earning sales guy, right? They're not like start getting into IRR hurdles and the, the eyes glaze over and it's like, what are we doing here? Um, so that was the objective was keep it relatively straightforward. And, uh, and most of the people that I was talking to, they'd rather have a higher pref with a more aggressive split versus the you know, going the other way where it's like, you know, a 6% preferred return and then a 70-30 split. They kind of like the idea of the more predictable. We talk about that from time to time, like development fees, because people are sensitive to mm-hmm. development fees as well, which is similar to a management fee. But um, I don't know. The, I think the counter argument to that is like, you're going to invest your money with this company. Like, don't you want this company to have resources at their disposal completely and agree. professionals across the board? And that costs money. So I completely agree with that. It's I, I equate it to paying a property management company, like a, yeah. a you know, do you want to pay that management company 6% when the market's eight? They probably don't have enough money to hire good staff mm-hmm. and to manage your property effectively. And then, you know, in a syndication yeah. business, right, or a sponsor business, it's like you want to be able to hire talent like in right. the business, right? And mm-hmm. you need to pay those folks. Yeah. <laughs> so it only supports the investment. But I think 
I think it's still such a new industry in a way, or at least it's, you know, more and more people are getting familiar with passively investing in real estate. And uh, I think everyone just is like, oh, so you just get money that isn't tied to the performance of the deal. Like it's just innate. <laughs> yeah, like you, right, right. There is a, there is yeah. a resistance. I know it. Yeah. yeah. But I wholeheartedly agree with that statement. Mm-hmm. I would rather invest with a sponsor that has a real business, mm-hmm. like that has headcount, yeah. payroll, and they're charging fees. Yeah, yeah. This guy gets hit by a bus. What happens to your investment? Yeah, exactly. And we, so I, we just hired our first like full-time salaried employee, like in the investment business, we have the management company, but in the investment business and um, our deals will perform better because he is a full-time in operations, like looking after those deals alongside me. And it's, that's a hundred percent a fact. Um, like almost just like an asset manager type role. Director of operations, but similar job description, similar role. You know, he's on with the PMs every week. He's running the budgets. He's keeping everybody accountable and on track and he does some other stuff too. But, um, but, but yeah, basically the same, same role. How much market research did you do in that? What? Lakeland? Lakeland. 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 How much market research did you do or how, how often did you go down there before you even started, decided that you wanted to invest? I did like way too much to the point to where I was like, I got like analysis paralysis. Like, and I think I looked at, and I was thinking of all the people I know that invested out of state. I went down to South Carolina, North Carolina. I had a, I have a friend that owns a bunch of property in Little Rock, Arkansas. I was like, I went to Little Rock, Arkansas with him for, it was just, so I, at, at one His point. was Bill Clinton. Sorry. <laughs> oh man, I, I would love to, that would be hilarious yeah. to partner with him on some Little Rock stuff. But uh it got to the point where I was like, I'm so in the weeds on like the metrics and the population growth and the demographics, you know, and I was just like, just pick a place and just go deep. Like you just have to pick one and you have to dive in. And, uh, and the reason I chose Lakeland was because I had a friend that lived in Tampa who's, you know, 40 minutes away who also does real estate, which is helpful in the event that, you know, I'm like, Hey man, go check on something. I'll give you like, you know, 50 bucks or whatever. And, uh, (laughs) yeah. It would be more than that. Um, yeah, round numbers. I've never had to do it, so I haven't. I, <laughs> you haven't thought about how much you're going to pay. Yeah, him. yeah. No, I'm, yeah, I'm a cheap guy. Clearly, no, I'll give him like a hundred bucks. Now. But, uh, but I was like, it, it, and it's an easy flight. So for me, it was like you just get to Tampa in two hours and forty five minutes. It's very simple. Um, fun place to hang out. It's more fun than Al- oh, Little, Little Rock, Rock Arkansas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you have to weigh that in. Yes, that is also very true. And, uh, and then the market itself, I, I, so I spent so much time looking at primary markets, like, like Raleigh in North Carolina. I was looking at like, you know, kind of the extended Charleston area in South Carolina, because I have a friend that lives down there. And I was like, it's just too competitive. And that's where I ended up with Tampa. I was like, it's just too competitive. I'm competing with people from up here, people from down there, people from the West coast. And, um, I realized I had to go to a smaller area. So I was like, all the demographic stuff is good. And I just stopped analyzing that. I was like, people are moving there. The income's growing, it's, you know. I know that people are going to Florida. We're, we're all set. Let's check that box. And, um, and then I was like, I want a place that's a hundred to 300,000 in population. I don't want anything larger than that because everything we do is direct to seller and it's much easier to find direct to seller deals in a smaller market where it's more mom and pop and you're competing with less, you know, other buyers or less, a smaller amount of other buyers that are also doing that. So, cause we spend a lot of money in marketing in Tampa. We just couldn't get de- like, we were finding deals that we could buy at market, but I didn't want to buy stuff at market. I wanted, you know, our whole model is we buy like really good deals and and that's like what we do. So we, so that's naturally brought us over to Lakeland. And there was a couple of other markets. We were looking like Daytona beach and some markets on the coast, but even those were a little too competitive because they were coastal versus like inland Florida. So prior to Lakeland, did you have any places under agreement and you kind of kicked out or you were just like, yeah, these are, we're not looking for market rate. 
Yeah. So we, I mean, we got a property under contract in Tampa and we went down there and did our inspections and it was just a complete nightmare. It was just so different than what the seller had represented. Like basically every single cooling system needed to be replaced. The roof was shot. A couple of the foundations were questionable. That's the tough part down there. Everything's on slabs. So it's just, it's just a different construction style. And I had to kind of learn that on the fly. So we didn't end up proceeding with that one because it was, it wasn't at all what we wanted to contract on or what we thought we did. And I was going down to like, you know, to directly answer your question about visiting. I visited Lakeland numerous times before we bought anything there because I just go down to Tampa to hang out with a friend of mine and I just would rent a car and shoot over to Lakeland one of the days and drive back. So I toured a couple of deals with brokers and I, you know, drove the neighborhoods, got a sense of like, you know, one of the, I think an exercise that's really helpful for people is like, get on the phone with a broker with Google maps up in front of you and literally ask them about all of the different streets and like take notes on the map over all of the different streets and neighborhoods and all of that. And that was extremely helpful. And then I spent the day with a broker doing that and seeing what he had already told me over the phone before I went down there. Mm. So um, just to verify. Yeah, just I'm like, all right. so now I know what your definition of a subpar neighborhood is like. So now because yeah. people have a True. different definition of that, you know, some guy that's like, oh, we invest in a war zone who invests in Chicago is different than me in New Hampshire buying in central Manchester. It's like, yeah, it's rough, but it's not south side Chicago. Those are two different bad areas, quote unquote, bad areas. So it, I think that's important too. You're going to have to, and you have to see it, right? To verify what they're telling you, but, but it was good. I mean, it was, you kind of, you have to get local, I think, or else you don't know. So have you ever considered doing any ground up stuff or is this kind of, this is what you, this is kind of what you want to do? I have, I have considered it and that I'd like to do it. I haven't, um, you know, and to, to don't just, do it. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I can see as, a, as somebody who wants to build a portfolio and hold, right. What better way to do that than to build a nice, beautiful new product and hold on to it, right? But um, obviously, it's an entirely different business. Just as like C-class multifamily is totally different than A-class multifamily. It's like now, I mean, you're even a whole nother level of new things you have to learn and new parts of the business you have to grasp on the development side. And then I think it's obviously so city dependent, market dependent. You're working with towns, municipalities, zoning departments, building departments. Like I have no experience with that. So I'd like to do it at some point, but I would probably only get into it if I had someone in the deal that had a lot of experience with mm-hmm. it, that I could just ride shotgun and be like, oh, so that's how that goes. That's, you know, that's yeah. how long it takes for you to get your plans approved or whatever. But I, I've never done one. I haven't really gotten close either, but I'd like to. That's a, that's a really good answer, man. I mean, I think a lot of people fall victim to that. <laughs> like, I'm a good real estate developer, so therefore I'm a restaurateur. <laughs> or I'm I'm a physician and therefore I can be a real estate investor. Like no quicker way to kind of lose a lot of money. Yeah, no. Than and to d- take what you're good at and so. extrapolate that beyond. And yeah. Just, yeah. And I think um like for me, like, you know, I have a lot of multifamily friends in the last couple of years. I wanted to get into like self-storage, right? Because mm-hmm. everybody was like, storage is the best, you know, and this is oh, this is where all the returns are. I can't find any multifamily deals. And it's like it's just a totally different business. Like it's, it's a, it's actually a business. Like mm-hmm. you need, you have customers and you have a payment processing and you have, you know, you need somebody in the office every, you know, all hours of the day. So, or, you know, during the business hours. So for me, it's like, we, we haven't maxed out what we can do in our little niche. Right. I mean, we have in New Hampshire, so we've had to go into other areas, but we can still do more within those, you know, in the C-class workforce housing, like, we will manage better than the competition and we find good deals. Like that, like we can still keep doing that and staying busy. So we haven't had a need to go do other stuff. Have you successfully bird or gotten your investors out of almost all of the deals that you've done, like non-syndicated deals? So in deals that we have investors in, they're in until we sell it. Okay. So even if they get, you know, we just did a um, a refinance for, for actually this 28 unit down in Florida. 
and they got all their capital back, right? So, so they, you know, all invested capital has been returned, but they're still in the deal, right? They still have their An equity, equity position, the yeah. 50-50, if that's the example. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. yeah. So they're going to yeah. get- good investment. Yeah. I mean, it's- Well, now know. they can recycle their money, give it to you for the next deal, and there's still cash flow and getting money from the cash flow. It's like they're almost double dipping. Does anyone yeah. audit you guys? Do you- just- <laughs> I'm just curious. No, not, not, not yet. Not the IRS. I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can you wrong. explain? Yeah, can you explain yeah. this? I was like, and no, this episode there's absolutely has no reason definitely been flagged. No. <laughs> yeah. I was like, that sounds so Don't good. This to Spotify. <laughs> no. Thank God we're not doing this on Zoom. There's yeah. nobody like we're tuning in. <laughs> can you explain uh, explain what you mean by that? Yeah, like I'm just curious, like if um certainly if you're selling stocks or some sort of publicly traded XYZ, like Someone's looking at your books all the time. I'm just wondering if in terms uh, of like tax an, returns, you have to file your tax. Yeah, yeah, like an investor that's like, "Hey, what's yeah. going on?" Yeah. yeah. So, um, they have access to that. I mean, we'll give it to. We have yeah, no problem. Sure. We share the management reports mm-hmm. like raw from our third party. Mm-hmm. That's like this is this is what's happening with the building, and then you know we send monthly updates, like investor updates, to all of the investors in our deals, and um, you know we talk about how the business plan's going. You know what rents are. You know we share rent roll. Um, and then we'll also talk about what the operating account balance is for the entity that owns, you know, the deal that everyone's fundamentally an investor in, right? They're an investor in the LLC that buys the property. That LLC has an operating account. We share that balance. So, I mean, I think we constantly sharing all of the information that people would That's want. Cool. Uh, and then the tax returns too. I mean, we, you know, we file the tax return at the end of the year and everybody gets a K1 mm-hmm. for their respective ownership interest in the LLC. So right on. Nice. So are you considering, are you, are you investing in other, any other markets in Florida right now or just? Just Florida and just up here. And, and we haven't bought anything down in Florida since May of this year. So we've only done the three down there. Okay. Um, we have a, I'm a co-GP, you know, I helped uh, close a deal in Daytona Beach with another investor, but I own a very small percentage of that deal. So I didn't really count that like as ours, but three in which I'm the, you know, I sourced it and we run it, our team runs it, et cetera. I would like to do more down there because we've been really busy up in New Hampshire and we haven't like, I haven't focused on getting the next deal down there. And I think the last five months we're doing this in November of 23 or 22. The market's just been so ridiculous. We're like, yeah. I'm like, I just want to do what I really, really know well, which is like small to mid-sized multifamily in New Hampshire. So we've kind of went into our shell a little bit. Is that also because of the market and the conditions like out there right rates now? and things like that? Yeah, How rates. has that affected your business? Yeah, so- Everything we did for the last few years was with, was with bridge debt. Every single deal we bought was bridge debt, you know, with a two or three year maturity on it. Maybe there was an extension option, but it was short term bridge debt because we were financing our renovations and we always knew the exit plan is to refi when we're done. And, and you mean in lieu of a like multiple investors like this 506 BC uh, or no? In, in terms of debt, like, so we would use bridge in terms of like a local bank or a local credit union or like agency financing with Got like it. a five-year fixed rate term or 10-year fixed yeah. rate term. So, so they're still the first position, but the goal is not to carry them. Well, you've also, yeah. and the, but in addition, you've had, you have investor. Yes. Right. Yeah. So like okay. the, the bridge financing gets us 80% of right. the cost for the deal. And then the 20% equity requirement we raise on some of the larger deals. And then for, you know, obviously still, for renovations or capital improvements. Yeah. For like, like working like reserves. Yeah, exactly. And then I, you know, I still buy deals myself. Most of what I do is actually just buying, you know, my own property, but in that situation, it's like, you know, same thing. I'm just bringing the down payment. Right. Um, Are you getting construction loans for any of this stuff or is it, Typically, yeah, yeah. It's such a it's a small part of the loan because we don't do big, right. you know. The, so sometimes we will, sometimes we won't. I mean, a lot of lenders, it's like they're like, nah. It's and it's a, you know, I think for me, it's like, what's the draw process for the lender? Because that's always a bit of a pain point. Like, is it going to take us three weeks to get our draw process from the time we file it? And if 
that is the case, we'll typically just raise the money for that, or I'll, you know, we'll just fund it out of cash flow if it's a deal I'm doing. But if they are a really good lender in terms of facilitating draws, well, I'm like, yeah, sure, lend on it. That's perfect. It saves us some money. But in terms of how it's changed, so we don't do bridge debt anymore on anything. Every single deal we do now, like we have we have three properties in the contract right now that are closing in December. It's all five-year fixed rate minimum debt. So it's all local banks, local credit unions, lower rates. And it really is like, I think if you go back and look at the data from like 2009, 2010, 2011, a lot of the defaults in the multifamily space, the majority of the defaults weren't because of cash flow issues. It was because of maturity dates. So as loans coming due at a time where you have someone who bought this property for $5 million, it's worth four or whatever it is after the market adjusts and then turn comes due and then they're underwater if they were to go and refinance and they have to go bring money and they're just like, ah, we, you know, they can't find the money to get out of the original loan. And that's where the problems come. So we are like, we don't want that to be something we worry about at least for five years. So that's been the big change for us. And then obviously rates are higher and that's, that's a pain point. But what we've started to do is really tighten up what we buy from like a discount to current market value standpoint. So like, you know, we're doing a deal right now. It's uh, 16 units in New Hampshire. We're under contract, I think, blended throughout all 16. There's a few different buildings around like 85 a door. Um, the current value is like 107, 110 if we were to like list it. So like we could buy it and just turn around and sell it type of discount and make money. So that's the critical components of it all is like, yeah, rates are 6% on our on our commercial mortgage now comparatively to four at this time last year. But we're buying with such margin that we feel comfortable with that. And, and yeah, I was yeah. gonna I was gonna ask if if sellers have kind of started to catch up, catch on or catch up to the changing market conditions. Because um, obviously there's my, obviously a lag. Yeah, it goes back to my initial question. There's what's the the success rate? People could be going into this not knowing how much those interest rates can actually hurt them. Yeah, I mean the sellers were response that it's all about the market time. <laughs> yeah. No, it's <laughs> it like is. And I'm not, and, and I'm, you know, I'm not naive enough to be like, oh, I know this better than anyone else. I bought, started buying property in 2016. I've only seen like roses. Like this yeah. is, <laughs> it's been perfect. So my way of dealing with that is like, I, I haven't taken the licks on it. I mean, outside of just a deal that went sideways, the one knew that one deal, but like we've been selling a ton of property. Like I've sold it. I've sold like half of the property I personally own this year and not just like to get into better cash position. Yeah. Just to. Now I'm like my, my, cause for five years it was like growth at all costs. And I was like redlining the car. Right. And I had no living expenses. It was all my money. I had no investor capital. I was like, let's go, man. Like I'm going to, you know, mm. we'll figure it out. If, if I, if I get into a tough spot, I'll start self-managing. I'll save the money. I'll move to Manchester. I'll, you know, I'll get on site. I'll do my own work. And now it's like, all right, dude, that's not sustainable. So now I'm selling stuff to size up cash wise. And, um, and now that we have investors too, like, um, it's the entire motivation has changed right now. It's like, we need to do everything for them. And me having a lot of cash personally helps that because I can make some short-term loans if a deal is like somehow in jeopardy or something. Right. Or, you know, if we want to sell and we're underwater, if the market completely drops out from us, like I can cover the shortfall, get my investors, the money back. So for me, that's, that's been a priority for the last like five, six months. And I just want to be less stressed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think that's I don't it. blame you. I would rather make less money and have less stress now than than like trying to match the growth of the portfolio and just be more stressed well, also being in a good cash cash position might might be advantageous if there is some sort of downturn in the market and yeah. you can capitalize on some half decent deals i think we could do an entire episode on that yeah you know yeah. know thyself know like i know guys are just cool as a cucumber sleep every night so yeah. much risk thousand balls in the air 
no idea where any of them are going to land. Barely any, <laughs> barely, barely any you cash know? in the bank. Yeah, bar- but but doesn't yeah. they're cool? That, that's not stressful for them. I'd love to talk to them. What books are they reading? Yeah. 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 Or what kind of gummies are they taking before? Yeah. <laughs> I don't have the emotional intelligence to be to be doing that or to yeah. be like so good with stress it doesn't like affect the day to day. So I mean, because I've been there, right? Where like, you know, there is not a lot of money in the bank at all. And uh and you have like you own 10 properties and a few of them need a water heater and a furnace, and then a few of them leave and you're like, oh crap, you know, this is tight. Mm-hmm. I mean, and then, and then when you start hiring people too now, cause we have full-time staff, like, you know, one full-time guy. And then I have a couple of, uh, like contractors that are basically they're 1099. They do like 20 hours a week for us, but we're like a main client of theirs. And it's like, I don't want to like have to like lay people off. It's, it's one employee. Mm. That's such a small little thing to think about. But like, once you hire one person, at least, at least for me, it was like an entirely different paradigm. It's a person's yeah. life now. And they're, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I'm like, yeah, I want to make sure I got runway. For like the business and then on top of that yeah having some cash to take advantage of cheaper real estate would always be nice yeah definitely well this has been really good episode i mean you got this so much knowledge and i think it's cool too that you do something that's very different from a lot of our other 90 guests which is (laughs) it's a little bit less about like a huge value add play and and fun right from the beginning so it's been great talking to you you know, no, I appreciate able, you guys having pe- me. If people want to get a hold of you, actually, you just released an educational. I did, yeah, of course, on finding deals, yeah, finding off market deals. It's like you know, because like you mentioned, or we've been talking about it earlier. I don't know if it'll make it to the podcast. We were talking about social media. I was like, <laughs> I get asked a lot for like help with a lot of this stuff. I was like, oh, let me package this up because I think that's we're to boil down what we do well. It's just finding off market deals. That's marketing. That's, that's just what we do. Yeah. We're sales and marketing, and we are decent at creatively structuring stuff. But the the strength is not in the renovation management. It's not, you know, we're good at operations, but like we de-risk it all up front by just buying stuff really cheap comparatively to the market value. So yeah, I put together a course. It's 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 cool. I've been, um, the people that have bought it are really enjoying it. Not that that's going to become no, like awesome. my full-time thing, but. <laughs> how, how do folks find that? So if you want to get a hold of me, Axel, A-X-E-L at alignedrep.com, which is short for Aligned Real Estate Partners. That's my business. Multifamily Wealth is the Instagram account. So if you want to learn more about all that stuff, you can head there. And then uh, the Multifamily Wealth podcast. So I do a podcast as well. And it's all all multifamily nice. uh, with folks that are you know crushing it in multifamily. I just followed you. Let's go. Nice. Let's go. Go. All right. Well, Appreciate thank you it. again. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, everybody. Yes. Thank you, Axel. For rating, for listening, for reviewing, and uh, for tuning in. Catch you guys Thanks, in the guys. next one. Thanks, guys. Appreciate yeah. it. Cheers. Cheers.